0: Good morning. What a great truth that we can praise the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can lift up our voices. What a privilege it is to gather each week to do that. I don't know about you, but I missed gathering last week. Um, There's just something special about gathering as a church family to lift up our worship and song and, and praise the Lord. So I'm actually going to, I had a schedule to pray later, but I'm going to pray right now before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I, I thank you that you came down to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. That the only reason we can gather here together is because of the completed work of the cross. That we can have hope. That we can have certainty. That we can walk through life and have power through your name. That you give us your presence in the middle of difficult times and joyful times. That you're with us. Lord, and even that you taught us how to pray as we open your word today and look at the Lord's prayer. We thank you for how you teach us and how you're patient with us as we fail. So Lord, we just pray as we... Study your word today, that you'll speak through it to our hearts. In your name, we pray. Amen. Well, we are going to be in a series uh, called "How Do You Pray." Uh, the disciples went to the to Jesus and asked, "Teach us how to pray." As Christians, uh, we know we should pray often. As we hear sermons on praying, we often walk away going, "I need to do better." Uh, I've never talked to a Christian and said, how are you doing? They said, oh, I'm good, but I'm just praying too much. We all have a desire to pray more, but oftentimes the struggle comes with, okay, how do we do that? How do we structure this into our lives? During my sabbatical, I started using the Lord's Prayer as a structure uh, to help me stay focused. I don't know how many other people in here have ADD, but I I do. It's strong, and uh, I get very easily distracted. And so having something, some process to pray through has been so beneficial. Uh, one of the most influential books I ever read was a, a book called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. Uh, great book. Uh, we actually did a sermon on it. I think we have a copy in the library. Uh, you can find it on uh, Amazon and those things. But he teaches you how to pray through Scripture. And when I was at the pastor's conference uh, this last fall with all a whole bunch of other pastors from Grand Rapids, my favorite time was once a day we would have a chapel where we would gather and we would sing a song and then we'd in a group of, you know, four to six people would pray through a passage of Scripture. And then we'd sing another song and then we'd pray through the next section of that passage. And I just found it so helpful and beneficial because my mind wanders. And so to have a text to pray through was so helpful. And in Luke 11, after Jesus finished praying, when the disciples had heard him pray, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So my goal during this series is to teach you how to pray. Using the words that Jesus used as he taught his disciples. Now, for some of you, this will just be an encouraging reminder to strengthen an already strong prayer life. For others, this new information might help you structure your prayer time a little more effectively. And yet, for others, maybe you've never really had. A structured prayer time before. Maybe you go. I figured out the the prayer time around meals. I've I figured out how to pray for someone who's sick, but I've never really had a time where I sat down and just spent time praying with the Lord. And I would like help with that. And so hopefully this will help. And maybe you're here or you're listening online, and and you don't even yet have a relationship with Jesus. And my hope is that through this series, through God's word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit that God would draw you to himself, that you could experience the joys of a relationship with Christ. So wherever you're at in your faith journey, my hope is that this series will challenge, encourage, and strengthen your prayer life. That as, you, as we go through the Lord's Prayer, as we go through what he taught his disciples how to pray, that it will help you on your faith journey. Now, the Lord's Prayer is recorded in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. And uh, repetition was one of the w- main ways that the rabbis used to teach. So we think that Jesus probably taught them this multiple times as he was going along the road. Now, it doesn't mean it's the only way to pray. This doesn't mean that this is the prayer we should pray every day or that we need to pray. In fact, the, throughout the New Testament, we can read prayers written by Paul and others. But the disciples wondered, okay, Jesus, we've watched you pray. We've seen how you pray. Teach us. And this is what he taught them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who've, who are debtors. Sorry, I've memorized it in multiple translations. So my brain, <laughs> and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From the evil one. So in this series, we're going to look at how to pray by examining the Lord's prayer, and we're going to look at six things. So according to Matthew six, we need to pray with the right motives. That's what we're going to look at today. Pray to the Father. Pray the Father's will. Pray for provision. Pray for forgiveness, and pray for guidance. And so we're going to look at those six sermons over the next six weeks. And in week seven, we're going to look at John fifteen about abiding with Jesus. Now that was the sermon I was going to give last week, but we threw it on the end there. So before we dive into that, I want to I want to give you an important principle that's the most important principle you can ever learn about studying the Bible. It's this, context determines meaning. Context determines meaning. If you get nothing else, remember that. When you're reading the Bible, context determines meaning. Meaning, what you want to do is look at the verses before it, look at the verses after it, see how it fits. Last week, uh, for those of you that are following the the foundation's reading plan, we were in Genesis. And in the beginning of Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your great reward. Now if you just read that one verse, you know, that's nice God, thanks for telling us that. You think... Abraham thinks that's, that's a good thing. But if we read back a little bit, you see that there was these five kings that all united together and these other four kings, and they were going to war. As that happened, the four kings went into Sodom and stole Lot and took Lot as a prisoner. And so Abraham routed troops, went and saved Lot to return him to where he was from. And he met with the king of Sodom, and the king of Sodom wanted to give him all these financial rewards. He said, No, I took an oath with the Lord not to take these rewards. And so, right after that, God meets Abraham and says, Look, I know there's war all around you. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'll protect you. I'm not going to let someone come in like they came into Lot and steal you. Now that I know you just turned down all those finances, you might be a little worried about finances. I am your great reward. See, God meets us right where we're at. And that is the the blessed hope of Scripture. As we read it, there's so much depth that it's easy to miss. Well, here in Matthew 6, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7. And we have the Beatitudes, which will look like, what is it like to have a blessed life? Followed by Jesus teaching that he's the fulfillment of the law. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He says, look, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you hate another brother, you've committed a murder in your heart. Ooh, <laughs> okay. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after another, you've committed adultery in your heart. Ouch. Love your enemies. Hard teaching but what jesus is doing is he's getting to the heart of the issue what's the real heart and so in matthew 6 he's going to get to the heart of three of the primary ways they worshiped god first they're giving then their prayer then they're fasting giving prayer fasting matthew 6 verse 1 which we just read said be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. In verse 2 to 4, Jesus talks about the Pharisees, how they make a show in their giving. How they how they just, they just would go to the temple and there was these bronze things you put the money in and they would take it out and they would make sure it made lots of sound so people could see how they were giving. And, and God says they have their reward in full. The reward is just other people thinking better of them. And then in verses 5 to 13, he addresses prayer, which we're going to look at in a second. And in verses 16 to 18, he addresses fasting. The Pharisees would make it so it was obvious they were fasting. And so as they would go about, they would make their faces look poor, so people would look at them and be like, are you fasting? Oh, oh, yes, 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 I'm fasting. Because they wanted the praise of people. And Jesus says, you have received your reward in full. And sandwiched between that teaching on giving and fasting, he teaches on prayer. And he says, prayer requires the right heart and the right motives. So I'm going to read the whole passage we're going to preach today, and then we'll go verse by verse. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full, but when you pray, Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for the they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Notice Jesus begins by saying, and when you pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. Or if you consider praying, he says, when? As believers, we're called to pray. And we all know this. All of us know this. We all know, I mean, when you look at the Christian life, it, it, it simply boils down to spending time with God, through word, through reading God's Word, through praying. But at the same time, so much of this life gets gets busy and then we neglect this simple thing that God calls us to do even though the Bible provides us with the Psalms prayers that we can emulate Memorize and pray and we have recorded prayers of Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets The New Testament is full of prayers of the Apostles Elders are commanded to be devoted to the word and to prayer And even when we just look at the life of Jesus, we see the importance of prayer. He consistently went alone to be with the father After ministering to large crowds when he was drained, he would withdraw to the wilderness to spend time with his Father. Before choosing the disciples, he went out and he prayed the whole night so that he could be ready to call his disciples to follow him. And before I went to the cross, he prayed so fervently in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweat blood. That Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, relied on prayer. How much more so do we need prayer in our lives? So today I have three points from verses 5 to 8, and I'm going to give you them ahead of time and then explain them. First, we need to pray with the right motives. Second, we need to pray in a way that brings your focus and attention on the Lord. And third, need to pray with God in mind. And he begins his teaching in Matthew 6 by saying this, And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. Now, it's interesting when you ask people about church. You know, one of the things that people say, why they don't go to church, they'll say the church is full of hypocrites. And the reality is we're all hypocrites. And I'm thankful that the church welcomes hypocrites like me. We all struggle with this. But Jesus pointed out specifically the Pharisees. The Pharisees were hypocrites. Now this word hypocrites comes from Greek acting. It meant actor. It was someone who would portray someone who they weren't actually in reality. And so Jesus would consistently call the Pharisees hypocrites. And what they would do is in their giving and their fasting and their prayer, they were all about the show. Their holiness was a fraud. They were fakes they practice what I like to call public piety. The they act of purposely, publicly presenting your holiness in a way that seeks to bring attention and approval. I think sometimes of today's televangelists, charading their holiness in front of others in order to get money or prestige. Jesus says they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, this word street corners there in the Greek, it implies a busy, big intersection. Now, the culture of that day, uh, it's kind of more like if you think of like Muslim culture right now. Um, So I had two uh, Muslim Afghan refugees living with us for two years, and at a certain time, their phone would go off, and that was the call to prayer. And then they had to, wherever they were, stop and go pray. Well, in uh, Jewish time during this time there were three times during the day that that jewish people would stop and pray so what these pharisees would do is they would make sure when it came time to stop and pray they were either in the synagogues or they weren't just on a street corner they were on a busy street corner where everybody else could see them and they would stop and they would stand in those places in order to be seen by others and they would pray was their purpose in prayer to bring glory to god no. Was it to make God famous? No. Was it to humble themselves before the Lord? No. The purpose was to get glory for themselves, to get the ad- approval and admiration of others. And Jesus said they got that. Look at the next part of the verse. Truly I tell you, they received their reward in full. The reward was not God's approval, but man's approval. It was not the Lord hearing their prayers. It was others hearing their prayers. It was not the reputation of the Lord being increased. It was their reputation being increased. Jesus gives us an example of this in Luke 18. He says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. He looks out at the crowd. He said, these are people that are confident in their own righteousness, so I'm going to give them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Notice, go back there, sorry. Notice the three things that Jesus criticized in Matthew 6, the Pharisee does here. His prayer his fasting, and his giving. He's saying, I'm not like other people. I am holy. Look at me. Next verse. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Look at the contrast between these two. One says, thank God I'm not like all those people. And the other one says, God, I need you. We come to church I think people have this perception about church that it's for the good people that that do the good things But really it's for broken people like you and me that come and say we need god's grace and mercy today And we need it tomorrow And we need it the next day because we're not deserving of it The pharisees were saying i'm deserving of all this grace I'm deserving of everything that comes to me because I'm holy. I'm better than all those people. But the tax collector says, I am broken. God have mercy on me, a sinner. Next verse. I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus teaches this upside-down kingdom. Those who are humbled will be exalted. Those who are prideful will be brought down. That to come before God, we come in humility. Prayer is about our heart and our motives. So we come to pray. The first thing we need to check is what are our motives? Do we have the right motives? Are we coming to the Lord as humble sinners in need of grace? Are we coming as prideful Pharisees thinking we got it all together? But when you pray, next verse, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus describes going into an inner room. This is probably a storage room where food, tools, supplies are kept. It's the least likely place to be disturbed in your house, to close the door, and to pray alone. Now, Jesus' primary concern here isn't location. It's not that you have to have this specific room. What he teaches is solitude. We see consistently Jesus would draw to be alone to be with the Father to pray. He withdraws to the wilderness. He withdraws to the mountains. He consistently withdraws to be alone with the Father. And He commands His disciples to pray somewhere where they're not seen. Somewhere where it isn't public and it's for the show of others. Somewhere where they're alone with the Father. Somewhere there where there's no temptation to put on a show. There's no temptation to think about, i got to have the right words so other people don't think something different about me. Uh, no temptation to sound holier than you are. Jesus emphasizes an important element of our prayer life. We need to be alone with God if we want to grow in our walk with Jesus. We have to spend time alone with the Father. And God rewards that. Now, he rewards that in a number of different ways, but the primary way he rewards that is with himself. I love in Genesis 3, it talked about how God would come down into the garden and walk every day. And I picture Adam and Eve walking with the Lord and talking with him and the fellowship they had. But then when they sinned, what did they do? They hid from him because they were aware of their sin. Our sin creates this separation, but God, through the cross, has restored that, and we can walk with Him when we pray. We can be with Him when we pray. So this is our time to be with our Heavenly Father who loves us. I think there's another small thing of note here. It can be helpful to have a place to pray. <coughs> Some people have prayer closets. Some people have a back porch they go on to. Some people with ADD will take walks because the act of walking helps them focus as they talk. And their neighbors might think they're weird because they see them walking and talking, and nobody else. Found a good—you just put a little earbud in. You don't have to have music, and then people don't think you're crazy. They just think you're talking to somebody. So you're actually talking with the Lord. But you know, I don't know if that's being a hypocrite and doing something deceptive. But but the point is that we should have a place, a time, some way to spend time alone with our Father, whether it's in a prayer closet, in our room, on a walk, wherever it is that we need to spend time. And one of the best ways to do that is to have a plan. And so at the end of the service I'm going to go over, I have a little prayer devotional that will be handed out at the end. And it's just a simple way to structure your time to spend with the Father. So we're called to pray with the right motives. We're called to pray in a way that brings our focus and attention on the Lord. And we're called to pray with God in mind. Jesus puts it this way. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. First, Jesus condemns how the Jewish leaders are praying. Now he's going to condemn how the Gentiles are praying. Uh, Gentile pagans will quote a whole bunch of words over and over again. In Acts 17, we have this example where in Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus, the people were really upset with what was happening. So they just went and, and, and quoted again and again. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, over and over and over again. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And New Age religions have a lot of those elements, repeating the same phrase over and over and over again. You know, These... Prayers that are meant to center your mind. Just say the same thing over and over again. Some church traditions will even assign certain prayers at confessions or other times and even give them a specific number of times. Pray this particular prayer ten times and, and that will bring penitence. Now it's possible for someone to pray those prayers in an act of sincerity, but it's very often that those things end up becoming meaningless babble, like Jesus is talking about. Now, we can do this ourselves, too. In mealtime prayers, we can find ourselves just saying the same thing every time. I heard a new one this week, you know, Lord, bless this bunch as we munch on our lunch. It made me chuckle a little bit, but that ends up just being meaningless words often. It's just something we say before we eat. I can't remember the TV show or the movie, but I remember watching one time where Someone started to eat, and they said, no, we have to say grace first. So we stopped eating, all concerned, and then everybody said, grace, and then they ate real fast. And that's, that's the other instance. That's not really, you know, taking time to be with our Father. Mealtime prayers can become ritualistic. Even to the fact where sometimes we will pray, when we're not even at mealtime, we'll start the prayer, bless this food to our bodies. and we'll, Oh, man, we're not, there's no food here. But because we're so used to that ritual, it be, can become just words. Even the Lord's Prayer can become just ritualistic words. It can be something that we just pray. We don't even think about. It can be something we memorize and we rattle off, but we never realize what we're actually saying. In response to some of what Martin Luther saw in the church at his time, that led him to be committed to short, fervent prayers, prayed often, rather than long, drawn-out prayers. What he saw... In the church was these long, drawn-out, specific prayers. And he said, instead, I want to have short, fervent prayers where I'm giving to the Lord what He wants, and I'm asking for Him to work. I also see this in in one of the biggest problems in speaking in tongues in in our church, not our church, but in church today. In the New Testament, speaking in tongues was a known language. It was a sign to help those that speak a different language to understand the gospel. I watched the sermon, not the whole sermon, but a portion of the sermon, of one of the spiritual advisors to a previous president a few years ago. And as she was praying for angels to come, she started just saying these nonsensical words. the atta, bata batta, like stuff. And, and I'm like, that's not speaking in tongues. That's just nonsense. It's gibberish. She was praying gibberish. And I'm going, that's that's not what that is in the Scripture. That's That's just babbling. And Jesus says, that's not how we're supposed to do it. We're not supposed to pray these these empty words like this, this other culture. In contrast, Jesus says, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is so comforting to me. God knows me. God knows my heart. Psalm 139 says this, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God knows me. In Romans 8, it says as I'm praying, if I don't have the words, the Holy Spirit intercedes and even interprets my groans and brings them before the Father. When I don't even have words to pray, when my tears are my prayers, God knows what I'm saying. Now, when you hear that, you might say, "Now, well, what's even the point of praying? <laughs> okay, Phil, you're telling me I need to pray. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to pray. That, that makes sense to me. But if God already knows what I'm going to say, and he already knows what my needs are, then what's even the point of praying? He already knows it all. I could just go through my day and be like, okay, God knows. I don't need to actually come to him in prayer. Well, I think the scriptures say there's tremendous purpose in prayer. Let's look at a couple of those things. First, God hears our prayers. God listens when we pray pray. Second, God acts in response to our prayers. When we pray, God acts. Third, God works through our prayers. John 14, God is working through our prayers to accomplish his purposes. James 5:16. prayer is powerful. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Prayer challenges us. James 1. I love this quote from R.C. Sproul. Prayer changes all kinds of things, but the most important thing it changes is us. As we pray, God changes us. I've seen this time and time again in my life. The more I pray, the more I ask God to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ, that makes me a better husband, a better father, a better friend a better pastor, a better coworker. When I commune with God, when I abide with God in prayer, He changes me to be more like Him. Even though God knows what I'm going to ask for before I pray, even though He knows my heart, He knows my inmost desires, He meets me in that prayer. Prayer is an opportunity for me to enter into relationship daily with the Father. So, as believers, we need to pray. In today's passage, we looked at how God calls us to pray. I would call it to pray with the right motives. To pray in a way that brings your focus and attention on the Lord. Be that going away to a, a prayer closet. Be that finding a place in your house, taking a walk, whatever it is. Taking your time to be alone with your Father, away from any distractions. And third, pray with God in mind. Now whenever we come to a passage like this, it can be easy then to misinterpret it and make it say something that's not saying. What this is not saying is that we shouldn't have public prayers. You're saying, well, Phil, why do we even have in prayer? We had prayer before your sermon. We had prayer during the service. Why are we doing that if Jesus says to go pray in quiet? Well, even though Jesus withdrew to pray often, he also prayed publicly. The letters of the apostles are filled with prayers that are meant to be prayed as the passage is read. The Bible records the public prayers of Solomon, the Levites, and many others. Prayer was a part of worshiping in the early church. So public prayer is important. That's why we pray during the service. That's why we pray before the sermon. That's why we pray as we gather in life groups. That's why we pray in D groups, because public prayer is important. Second, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray together. This isn't saying you should only pray alone. The scriptures say, confess your sins one to another. And the best thing to do after you do that is to pray. One of the biggest things I ever did that changed my life was to start praying consistently with my wife. One, because it's hard to be mad at someone you're praying with or praying for. So that changed how often we were mad at each other. We're mad at each other a lot less now. Never mad at each other, right? Never. Perfect marriage, never have any struggles. That's, you see, if you say something sarcastically, it means that you're not actually lying. You're supposed to interpret that we are normal people that have normal problems. But we're, by the grace of God, we have a wonderful marriage. But praying together is an important part of our walk. That also doesn't mean we can't pray unless we're alone somewhere. <clears throat> see, the amazing thing, when God gives us His names, one of His names that He gives us is God with us. That means He's always with us. That means we can pray as we're driving, with our eyes open, by the way. We can pray as we're in the shower. We can pray as we're walking. We can pray at work. Man, I worked, have you ever worked at a toxic work environment? So, I worked at McDonald's for three years, six months, was at the Alpine McDonald's, worst place I ever worked, horrible, horrible, horrible. I prayed so much during that time. I pray, Lord, help me not to respond to this person in anger. Lord, help me be nice to this person. Lord, help me to show grace to this worker. I just prayed so much during those six months. Because God is with us every moment of every day. And we can come to Him at any moment in prayer. And He is with us. So just because we should have this set-aside time alone to be with God, to spend time in prayer, Jesus, that is how you pray. The scriptures also say we can come to him at any moment. We could pray at any time, but even though we can pray at any time, it's still good to have that time to be alone with him. So as I mentioned, uh, there's two devotionals out there. One is a little one for kids, uh, so kids can grab this. Uh, But the second one is for adults. Now, we, for these last number of years, have provided you with a reading plan Uh, to read God's word, because we believe that God's word changes us. But this is the first time we've given you a a prayer devotional. So this is meant to go along with your foundations book, if you're reading the foundations, or if you're doing any other prayer thing. And basically, it's just meant to walk through the Lord's prayer and to pray it. So the first two pages, it has just kind of a, a talk about what what prayer is. But then once you get to the third page, it's just the same every day, and it's praying for the prayer. And so when you pray the prayer, it begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this is a time for you to pray to the Father. What I love to do is, thankfully this year the Foundations book goes through the Psalms too right now. And so as I'm reading the Psalms, I write down three attributes about God, three characteristics about God. And then as I go to my prayer, I pray and thank God for those attributes, for those characteristics. I praise God for who he is. And then we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a time to pray for God's will to be done in our lives, not for our will to be done. Part of prayer is conforming our will to God's will. To say, I want your kingdom to come. I want to build your kingdom. I don't want to build my kingdom. I want to build your kingdom. And asking God to help you do that. Give us today our daily bread as a time to pray for our needs, to pray for our provision. And so we take that time, and maybe you take the care in prayer or something else, you pray for the needs of others, you pray for your needs, pray that God would intervene in those circumstances. And then forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors as a time to come before the Lord in and, and, and confession. God, these are the areas that I've sinned yesterday. Would you make me aware? Would you put to mind areas that I've sinned against you that I didn't realize? Would you show me how I could live according to your purposes? And the lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray, God, today would you guide me. Today would you help me to avoid the temptation of the evil one. Today would you help me to walk in victory. And those simple prayers are a way for us to align our hearts with what God wants from us. And the Lord's Prayer is a stark contrast to the prayer of the Pharisees. Going back to Matthew 6 at the beginning there we instead of praying about our kingdom being built, we pray about God's kingdom being built. Instead of wanting our reputation to be increased and wanting others to think greater of us, we pray that God's reputation would be increased and we would become less. Instead of praying about others' view of us and us being inflated, we pray that others' view of God would be elevated. Rather than increasing our pride, prayer is about humbling ourselves and coming before our Savior knowing that we need God's grace knowing that we serve the king of kings and lord of lords So my challenge to you today Is to pray with the right motives To pray in a way that brings your focus and attention on the lord and to pray with god and mind. Let's pray Dear heavenly father Lord, I know there are times where I struggle with distraction with busyness Rather than giving you my best time, I give you my last time. Rather than pursuing you first, I give you leftovers. There are so many times where I've failed in this area, Lord. And I thank you that you show grace to us. You come and meet us where we're at. And maybe there are here, people here today that have a tremendous prayer life. And, and this will just be an extra tool to help them to continue to have a strong prayer life. Or maybe those, there are those that, that struggle with this. Lord, wherever we're at in our spirituality, help us to meet you in prayer. Know that you love us. Know that you desire a relationship with us. And know that you meet us in prayer. your name we pray.